In today's show, we're talking power forwards. It's tears time. Where we're going to go into the power forward position. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. If I could find the thing, here it is. Official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now. New customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit fanjuel.com slash locked on to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So we are here to talk power forward tiers. You've seen them come out all through this week. It is now time for power forwards. And it is now time for the big fella himself to come in. It is, of course, the one and only Matt Smith. Welcome, Matt. Good afternoon to you, Josh Lloyd. It is good to have you here. It is good to talk some fantasy basketball again, and it's good to talk power forwards. Now we've covered the first three positions, point guard, shooting guard, small forwards already. So now we move on to the first of the, I guess, theoretical big men. And there'll be guys that, this isn't a particularly big tier because a lot of guys that are either in small forwards or a lot of them uh, push into the center tier as well. So we're not going particularly deep here, just eight tiers deep uh, through Matt's tiers on, on this as well. So just don't be surprised when there are certain guys that aren't here or maybe the certain guys that are here that you don't think should be here. That's just the way that we have to make these positions and these tiers work. We might as well just get start cracking straight into it, Matt. And we'll start by looking at tier one, who we have two guys in this tier one position. Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who are both got ADPs around the back end of the first round, apart from Giannis, who's at four over on ESPN. What do you make of, well, first of all, between these two, I know you're, you're staunchly anti-punting, so that means you would take Durant ahead of Giannis? Probably, Josh, and you'd be surprised to know I did take Giannis in a head-to-head leg last year, and I was a little bit disappointed because that steel and block rate in particular fell off dramatically, and obviously, yeah, that persistent knee um, injury is still a concern, and, and it's a concern going into this season again, and the Bucks will probably manage him. Um, and being a Suns fan, I might just take Kevin Durant for something a little bit different as well, and watch, you know, 82 games, or probably not 82 games of him playing, but 82 games of the Suns playing, and hopefully there's 65 to 70 games of Kevin Durant, and if he's back to somewhere near his best, he's going to be pretty valuable, but um, yeah, both of these guys going towards the the back end of the first round, and yeah, depending on how you want to start your team, you can make a case for either of them. Durant's not, of course, he's not playing 82 games. He's more of an injury worry than Giannis, I think. I think we can guarantee that Giannis is going to miss time. We know that because we know this knee injury is not getting any better. But Durant just always seems to be something that happens to him with falls or leg injuries. It's just uh, is happening every year and it's adding up. He's older as well now. What is he, 33 at the moment? Um, that all is adding up on his body too. Giannis is a, a, obviously a clear issue with the free throw percentage. But as we'll often say, like, 
you don't have to worry about that part of it. It is. I've been doing a lot of work on this. It isn't actually impossible to be competitive in free throws with Giannis, even if he shoots 65%. But two years ago, he shot 72%. And then that's not really a problem at all. I was doing some some work on it. If your team shoots like average on the free throw line, which is 80%, and then you add Giannis in, it takes you down to about 77, which is not great. But if one of those average free throw shooters is replaced by Damian Lillard or Shea Gildas-Alexander, whatever, then you're up at like 81%. And free throws are quite variable over the course of the week. And it's not easy to be an 80% free throw team, but it's not impossible to do it. And if you had um, Lillard and you had Jordan Poole, who's going to be a mid-round player with high volume, high percentage, well... You can actually cover up for it. Now, do you have to do it? No. But we, there's always the the idea that so you have to lose this. And you, you're big on this even with Luca. Like, you don't, you're not auto-punting shit. Like, you can actually compete in it. And on a head-to-head basis, we're not caring about what it looks like over the course of the season. It's what happens in a week. And you can actually be... You can actually still win it. Um, it's not easy, but it's not it's not impossible. Yeah, and 77% is still competitive. And and the thing that has probably changed a little bit again this season is the number of of big men, and and we'll cover some of them here in power forwards and again in centres, that have poor to terrible free throw percentage. So, you know, there might be teams who have, um, you know, whether it's a a Robert Williams or, you know, um, Clint Capella, obviously Rudy Gobert, sort of these sort of these sort of guys who, you know, drag down that category. Um, so, yeah, Nick Nick Claxton is another one. Obviously, Zion. Um, Evan Mobley's not great from the free throw line. So, it might be a case of even if you do take Giannis and you get it back into a semi-competitive range, that's still going to be enough to potentially win, you know, that that category on a, on a number of times throughout the season. And Giannis, he might just shoot 70%. He might not, but he might. Like He did it a year ago. Like, he could. And then that changes your whole calculation. So I think more the point is don't just – you go into the idea that you're probably going to lose it, but it's not impossible. Like it's not the end of the world and it's not it's not going to kill everything about that. The problem is the defensive stats drop way off. And I think part of that is his usage was just absolutely through the roof because Middleton wasn't there. And I do think that his usage is going to come down significantly. But I do think that we might get at least those blocks and steals back to one or maybe a little bit above one. I think that that could easily uh, jump back up. I would say that the decrease in defensive stats is more to do with the offensive usage than it was to do with the knee injury, which has been the same knee injury he's had for four years or whatever it is. Yeah, so you think that therefore, um, you know, that he saves a little bit of gas on on the Mm. offensive end and contributes more defensively and, you know, throw Chris Middleton back into there as well and that might help him out on the on the offensive end. So, you know, yeah, maybe we're talking ourselves into Giannis having a bit of a bounce back season. I would I would suggest that is that is probably likely, but I, he's not he's not stiff in seventy games. Like I'm really confident no. about yep. that. Let's look at the tier one across points leagues and across my Durant system. Of course, Durant is in tier one in the Durant ranking system along with Giannis, same as yours. And in points leagues, Giannis sits alone. I think he was the second or third ranked player in points leagues last year, season. The games missed is still remaining the problem, but he still puts up gigantic points league um, numbers. Tier two, Matt. Um, we've got Jimmy Butler here in power forwards. It's I know that the Heat will say that he's a small forward, but let's be fair. Like when 
he's paired with Caleb Martin, and one of those guys out in the perimeter shooting threes, and Jimmy's working in the post. I know which one's the power forward, and it's not Caleb Martin. So whatever, you can put Jimmy in small forwards, you can put him in power forwards. If he plays next to Kevin Love, yeah, he's the small forward. But a non-shooting um, forward who plays with a guy who does space out and does a lot of his work at, around the rim, that's that's a power forward to me. Yeah, I think so, and that's why we've got him here. But um, yeah, again, just trying to, to put these guys in, in positions where they'll play predominantly across the season. So... Um, yeah, please don't get too worked up if you're going to crack please the shits don't. about him being in power forwards. No, oh, pe- people will definitely get pissed off about it. People get pissed off when I would tell them last season that Jared Vanderbilt was a centre, even though he was. Um, what do you make of Jaron Jackson? It's the, he's the big you know, query, I guess, where Yahoo has pre-ranked him at 13, I think it is, and he blocked a million shots last season. And people will look at that and go, well, he's probably going to have to sc- he'll probably score more with Jar out. So why isn't he a first-round pick? because he just doesn't do enough in other categories apart from blocks. Um, and this is the great thing about Basketball Monster, where you can look at the Z score on the projections page, page and see that he's at a plus three um, in blocks. And then his next best category is um, literally points. Mm. And that's at a point eight, so it's not even at a big advantage. Um, and if those blocks come down even slightly, that's going to have a massive impact on his overall value. And again, blocks are something where we can find them in the mid to late rounds. So um, this year, again, I'm against taking um, elite shot blockers in the second and third round. And we've seen that before, whether whether it be a Miles Turner or Robert Williams or going back to Larry Sanders days. You know, we've seen guys that have been taken in that range and just don't live up to it and only takes a small decrease um, to, to drop them down. So um, I'm sure Jaron Jackson will probably go in the second round in in a lot of drafts, but I'll be happy happy to let him go there and, and take somebody else and, and find some blocks later later on. Yeah, I've got absolutely no interest in taking him in the first round, which I've seen sometimes, or in the second round, because you're right, Matt, it's all based on those huge block numbers. But when you dig into it, is that towards the end of the season when Ja Morant was out, Jaron's block rate just returned back to exactly what it was the year before, which is still really good. And I will say this time and time again, you're three blocks a game and you go down to 2.5 per game, 2.5 is still really good. But it's not three, and that gets reflected in overall value. And 2.5 still might lead the league, but it's not three. And that does make a difference in the way that you're valuing in the, the way you're valuing players. And if we're going to tie that into him having the the more offensive focus, which we talked about with Giannis, which he's going to have to do, and that tied in last season, more offense, less block numbers down the stretch of the season. And that's going to be the case at least for the first 25 games of this season. And last season, when he shared the court with Ja Morant, he blocked 4.8 shots per 100 possessions. When Ja Morant was off the court, he was at 4.4 blocks per 100 possessions. And then when Ja Morant was out with his suspension down the end of the season, he was at 3.9 per 100 possessions. So it's a big difference going from 4.8 to 3.9. And that's you know, you're banking on him just doing the same thing again. Really good player, really good defender. I had him for defensive player of the year. But three blocks versus 2.4 is does not make a first-round player or second-round player. Yeah, and the lack of rebounds are a concern as well. And again, his durability over the of the journey exactly. has been questionable. So we have to throw that into the mix again. So yeah, a few red flags there for JJJ. Yeah, and you're right about like yeah. The, again, there's there's a bit of a fallacy about he wins you the category in blocks each week, which is just not true. Yeah, mm. There's going to be. Yeah, let's say minimum seven guys who block two shots a game, maybe 15 guys who block two shots a game. And if you have Jaron Jackson and someone else gets two of those guys, well, guess what? 
you lose to that player. And if two other guys get two of those high blocks guys, well, you lose to all of those guys as well. So you've had Jaron Jackson, but you're not winning blocks every week and you've wasted that pick. You need to get him and then get another block guy and then maybe another block guy to be able to really lock it down because there is going to be, well, blocks are a weird category in the way that they're distributed. There's not there's not one guy who gets all the blocks. There's 10 of them or 12 of them who get them all and there's 12 teams in the league. So theoretically, everyone could get one and then you're not winning blocks every week and then you're working on the margins to do that. And, and that's the thing. You, you've, you're drafting Jackson Jr. in the second round. You still have to chase blocks. You still have to chase rebounds and you're probably going to do that reasonably early in the draft, but then you're still missing out on the elite point guards and some elite, elite points and elite scorers. So you're hurting yourself in a number of categories and you're just not going to be able to make them up later on. Yeah, it is really tough. Now, I have no problem with punting assists. It generally does tend to be a useful sort of fantasy build because of the way that the point guards just get snapped up so early. And if you if you miss out there, then it's hard to compete and you can just focus in on some other areas and you might be able to go, you know, blocks, 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 rounds two, three, four and, and lock down that and get your field goal percentage way out. It's totally possible. I just don't think that, especially in the first round, got no interest in Jaron Jackson there. The other tier two stuff, um, I've got Anthony Davis in tier two in my Durant rankings and also in points league. So I have Davis... Uh, ahead of uh, ahead of Jaron, there I believe you do you have J- uh, you have Davis in the center ranks, but I put him into the power forward ones. That's okay. Um, he's going to be eligible for both, so that's where we're at. Um, centers tier three: Victor Wembanyama, Carl Anthony Towns. I yeah, look, it's where, where do I start here? Let's start with Towns because a lot of people are looking at this and going, "Well, the reason he was down so low last season was because of injury," and I don't agree with that. It was, I'm guessing you're going to say it was also because of Rudy Gobert, his arrival, pushing him out, and then the, the scoring dropped, the rebound dropped, the block drop, and then the um, the step forward that um, Anthony Edwards took as well. So I think people will just think, oh, yeah, Carl Anthony Towns, and go back to a couple of years ago and remember him as the first-round player and potentially grab him in the late first, early to mid-second round and, and probably not realise that the decline he has had um, for, for for a number of reasons. We had that exact discussion with him at this time last season. We said, like, uh, I, well, maybe it wasn't on this show, but it was on one of my shows where I didn't have him as a first-round player, and that caused a little bit of controversy because I said, look, I think he's going to lose field goal percentage. He's going to lose blocks. He's going to lose rebounds. And then on the other side, he's going to lose usage to Edwards. And literally all those things happened. And I don't really see any of them reversing this season. And that's the reason he wasn't as well-performed as we hoped, or as some had hoped, is because he rebounds dropped significantly. Blocks were unbelievably putrid. Um, field goal percentage dropped because he took more threes. And scoring dropped because Edwards took more usage. None of that stuff's changing. So I think Towns is more of a second, third-round guy. Wembenyama is the big question here, though, Matt. Look, his ADP sits mid-third round at 30 on um, Yahoo. Obviously, insane and 18 at ESPN. I I think he's going to be really good. I think there's going to be some field goal percentage issues with him early. There's going to be some games played issues probably with management that the Spurs will um, take control over. I wouldn't be looking at him inside the top 40, I don't think. That means you won't be getting him on your team. Fine. That's that's totally okay. I, I, I understand that. Um, I think that... I know he's going to be really good. I've got no problem. He's the absolute number one overall pick in rookie drafts for Dynasty. He's the a top three to five pick in Dynasty startup leagues. No worries with that whatsoever. I just think that if you take him in round two, how what path is there for him to be better than that 
what are the probabilities lie of him being better than that? Whereas the probabilities will suggest that he's going to be worse than that, or almost, almost definitely. But it's the hyped guy that you want. He might, he might block two and a half shots a game. He might, he might average eighteen points with eight rebounds and two and a half blocks. Still really valuable. Still not taking it in round two. And it's funny that we've now got these guys in the same tier because Carl Anthony Towns had one of the best rookie seasons that we've we've seen over the past decade, and and Victor Wembanyama. If he can do something similar, I think. Was Carl Anthony Towns like the twelfth or the fifteenth best player in his yeah. rookie season around, off the top of your head? Yeah, around that. I think he was. I think he was fifteenth, and he was getting drafted maybe in the forties. That was the year where we go. Oh, what are they going to do? Because they had like Kevin Garnett and maybe Pekovic. How much? How many minutes they're going to play him? And they they went really hard and gave him really big minutes. And I mean, Yama's going to start. He's going to play good minutes. I just there's no. It's it's all downside really taking him at you know, in the top twenty. I think probably, think- but. He's he's just going to be so fun, and I can't wait for for the preseason to come. And you know he's going to have some massive games, and that's going to drive his price up. And I think in six weeks' time, when we're drafting, we're going to see Victor Wembanyama go in the second round. Um, I'm sure. And just I'm just sure because be people people are going to want to have him um, on the roster. This I think similar will happen with Chet Holmgren. You know, people are going to see the, the six block games and the three steals, and yeah, just want want these guys. And again, everyone loves something new and shiny, and we haven't seen these guys out on the court before. So um, it's it's a really interesting range, and, and Victor and, and Chet in particular are going to going to change the change the game again. They are. We'll talk about it more in a second, but today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Get ready for NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets back guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube, YouTube TV. Not new customers. All customers, every single person, if you bet that five bucks, you get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. We're a week away from the NFL season starting. Now is the best time to join FanDuel, the app. It's easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads, money lines, points, uh, player props, over-unders, whatever it is. It's all over there on FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer that you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, and don't forget to gamble responsibly. The other part with Wembenyama, Matt, is that him joining the league and Chet Holmgren joining the league just adds to those blocks. So the higher block numbers of Claxton, of Jackson, aren't as rare anymore. And that's you know, two guys who are going to be averaging a ton of a ton of blocks. Blocks aren't necessarily a finite resource. Someone coming in and averaging a lot of blocks doesn't mean that somebody else has to average fewer blocks. It's not like uh, it's not like shot attempts where they are finite. Like each possession has a shot attempt. Like you can block multiple shots, a team might average 10 blocks a game or they might average 15 or they might average seven. So adding these two guys in, plus more minutes for Walker Kessler, plus more minutes for Mark Williams, plus more minutes for Jalen Duran, who hopefully blocks more shots. There's just more blocks around the NBA. Let's look at tier three for Durant. I've got Jaron down there, so I do have him pushed down a bit. And then in points leagues, it's Durant, uh, Zion Williamson, Julius Randle, and Pascal Siakam. Zion could very easily push himself into tier two, even in a points league, uh, because he just is absolutely dominant when he is out there. We just haven't seen that out there enough, unfortunately. Let's look at tier four. Matt, you do have Pascal Siakam. You do have Zion Williamson. You do have Evan Mobley in this group. Um, I am shocked to see, Am I shocked? I am shocked a little bit to see that everyone is just off of Zion. ADP of 70 on Yahoo. It's 44 on ESPN. Like, 
it's very clear that when he plays, he's significantly better than that. I thought that Yahoo, with a mixed ranking between points and categories, would have him higher than this, because this is a top 20, probably points league guy. That is just, I don't know, that it's, it's just expecting him to be hurt again, which I get that, but it, 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 there comes a point where you don't, you can't let him slide that far, I don't think. I still think that Zion Williamson is an overrated fantasy player um, because he his boost in value comes from pretty much one category or one and a half categories, and that's the high field goal percentage sure. and it's the points. After that, again, he's not getting you elite rebounds from a power forward center position. The assists are league average so yeah four four and a half is is nice but it's still not going to give you a big boost in that category the steals and blocks are okay but again they're not going to win you a week on their own and then throw on top of the, that that he's pretty much never been healthy and we see pictures and video of him coming out and he's absolutely looking just muscular as anything but this is a guy who continually has um lower body injuries so that just doesn't sort of stack up about why you're getting stronger and bigger up top and putting more pressure on the on the set, on the lower half of your body. So, um, for all those reasons, um, yep, as a Mark Cuban would say, I'm out. Um, but yeah, Pascal and Siakam and Evan Mobley, I um, really like those two options in this tier and this range. Let me read you a stat line and tell me what you think of it. Right, yeah, we're talking about Zion here. Twenty nine points, eight rebounds, five assists, one point one steals. 0.5 blocks. Right. What do you think of those numbers for Zion? Well, again, again, they're they're good, but it's the it's the points and the field goal that you're paying for. They're actually Jason Tatum's projected numbers for this upcoming season, right? Yes. So the yeah. the difference there is that Tatum will hit more threes and he'll be better yeah. from the line, but Zion will also give you massive field goal percentage. But there's absolutely no reason that Zion can't average the same points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks that what Jason Tatum does. 29, 8, 5, 1.1 and 0.5. He absolutely can average those numbers, which is exactly the same as Jason Tatum on our projections, right? The difference is Tatum is hitting three threes and Zion's going at 60% from the field and then there's the free throw issue. So while you look at that and go, he's giving you these big values in these other categories, absolutely true. He could be the exact same as Tatum across everywhere else and we still discount him though because of the the fact that he's so concentrated in those other categories. It's not impossible for him to be that that player. I don't think that that averages those numbers. But we, we've never seen him do that over a, a, a length of a length of time. Jason Tatum that, that is true. basically never had an injury, and Zion Williamson's never been healthy. That's true. It's a hundred percent true. And but you know, when we're talking about Tatum going at four and Zion going at seventy, like, again, there is differences there because you know, that free throw percentage and the lack of threes, they're they're, they're big differences. But is, is it worth 60-plus spots? I don't know. And well, it is. The injuries, it, it yes. Is, it is, because if you, if you take – I say this, you, you can't win your league on draft day, but you can lose it, right? So, and, and I also say that everyone wants to draft the breakout player of the season, and that's all well and good. But I also believe that it's also just as important to not draft the player who's the bust. You don't want to pick a guy in the second or the third round who are either through form or injury just plummets down the rankings. And again, with Zion Williams, with Williamson, we've never seen him 
over a period of time consistently get out on the court and put up put up numbers. Jason Tatum is is proven over his his career, and again until he he gets in um, um, injured, there's there's no reason to to think otherwise. Oh, I, I understand all that. I was, I was more pushing back on being overrated from a fantasy perspective. When I yeah, the injuries, absolutely no problem with that. But he can easily put up those counting stats without any question. It's about you know, and if he plays sixty games this season, then you know that that him getting it going at seventy is a huge steal. And I don't really have a problem with picking him there. It's more just to illustrate again, like the differences between how players are valued and ranked when they might literally have some exact numbers right across the board and it's just a couple of little things that differ and it throws them out by six rounds worth of value and that is I think it's again worth worth having in your head that these things can happen without without too much actually changing in what Zion is able to do and the way that different things get uh, get valued I don't want to de- derail this and just talk Zion the whole time let's look at the tier four across the Durant rankings Jimmy Butler pushed him down a little bit in my rankings there but for points leagues it's pretty bold or pretty not bold pretty large you got Jaron Jackson Paulo Banquero Wembenyama Evan Mobley Kyle Kuzma Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler in that mix for points leagues in tier four. Now tier five, Matt, it is relatively crowded there. Cam Johnson, Jeremy Grant, Julius Randle, Jalen Williams, and Draymond Green. As always, some very different players. Draymond might average eight points per game. Jeremy Grant might average 23. Julius Randle will average 26. Yet we're all in the same sort of area there. What if we're looking at is this sort of area of a draft, like round, say, 50 through to 70, are you still looking for safety? Are you looking for upside? Where are you viewing these guys? Um, again, it's probably depending on what you dependent on what you've done at the top of the draft. If you've taken, you know, whether it be Anthony Davis or Kyrie Irving or you've got Kawhi, you probably want to play safe. If you feel you're pretty confident with a, a Nikola Jokic or a Trey Young or whoever it might be, you might want to take a little bit more of a swing and maybe go, you know, Jalen Williams and potentially does he push for a top 50 season? Um, do you need some extra assists here? You might have gone with Jaron Jackson Jr. early and, and gone up, gone on on some bigs and blocks early and now you need Draymond's assists. So it's completely horses for courses. And um, again, just a good illustration of um, grouping all of these players who have different pros and cons, but similar overall value. Exactly. It's all going to be dependent on what you want to do. Like you can look at you know, Randall and Grant... And obviously Draymond is older sort of guys, whereas Johnson, you know, full-time, big-minute role coming this season. Jalen Williams, second-year player, who probably got a little bit more upside, but just offering different things. Like Cam Johnson is probably just a points-and-three sort of player with some solid percentages, which is useful, but that's what he brings. Whereas Jalen Williams led the league in steals in the you know, after January 1st in total total steals. Does he keep that going? Does he take a usage step up um, based on where he was last season? How does that impact other Thunder players? Julius Randle, is it time for a shit season for him? Because he was pretty solid last season, but then he had off-season ankle surgery. So there are a lot of questions around a lot of these players. I think Jeremy Grant's an interesting one because he's almost the perfect encapsulation of, well, he might get more usage, but then it'll probably drop him down to 42% shooting as we saw in Detroit. So if Lillard is gone, he'll score more, but he'll be less efficient, keeping him sort of hovering in that same area. Yeah, and that was an interesting point you made on um, Julius Randle and having ankle surgery because in my notes... Um, next to him, I was I put that um, Randall's actually played over 35 minutes per game in 77, 72, and 71 games over the past three seasons. So, at what point does that workload become too much? And obviously, he's had that surgery on his ankle, so there's been an issue there. But um, yeah, when does that 
cause him to miss games um, during a season. Yeah, like he was injured down the stretch last season. He looked really bad in the playoffs coming back too early from the ankle injury. But at some point, like these things do have to add up at some stage and whether it adds up into just a, a lack of um, stability through game-to-game variance and shooting numbers, which can impact a whole bunch of that with fatigue too. And we know that he is relatively prone to having some poor shooting numbers. Tier what, five, does Jalen William, what does Jalen Williams do this season? Does he, does he go hmm. a big step forward? Like how much just... Does Chet impact him? Does does Josh and Shay still take the ball and and that impacts like he he's just got an unbelievable fantasy game. But yeah, how how quickly can he can he move up up the rankings and and where does that improvement come from? It's a really good question. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. Like does they'd be pretty stupid to take the ball out of Giddy's hands as a passer, considering mm-hmm. he's probably a top five passer in the NBA. Probably not great to take the ball out of Shea's hands, who's the number one driver in the NBA as well. So Williams is an awesome player. He does a huge amount of awesome things to help a team win. It's a lot of cleanup stuff, a lot of cutting stuff. He had really, really high percentages last season, which who knows how they stick. Do the defensive numbers stay up that high? And part of the reason that both him and Shea were able to boost significantly last season was the Thunder scheme. They had no one behind them to defend the rim. So they were like, we have to generate turnovers on the perimeter um, because... You know, if they if they actually get past us, which they can, then we're cooked, right? So do they do they play a little bit more conservative now that Chet is behind them? Yeah. And they don't say, well, the our only way of stopping is a steal, which is a lot of the mentality they had last season, and enabled you know, Shea and Jalen to put up these huge defensive stats. Or do they just keep going? Well, actually, now we've got Chet behind us, so we can still afford to gamble. I don't know how they do that, but they actually had a clear, defined mindset of like, we can't protect the rim, so the way we protect the rim is we don't let people get to the rim. And yep. we'll see if that changes now that Chet's there. So, so to answer your question, I don't know. I don't know where Jalen Williams gets better. Like, do, who does he take usage away from? Who does he take ball handling away from? Yeah. Do the steals yeah. and percentages stick? And when you look at all those things in totality, you look at it and go, well, the likelihood is that it probably doesn't all get better. In fact, probably more things get worse than get better. And that that's not a great position to be. It's still got no problem drafting him, but yeah. it's more likely that the percentages drop versus usage and assist rate go through the roof. Yeah. I, I would think. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a, a valid reason. Look at the Durant tiering here for Tier Five. It's Towns, it's Williamson, Wembenyama, Jeremy Grant, Evan Mobley. So you'll see some guys that are going to get drafted way higher, like Victor and Towns, with some guys who are a bit lower. Just again, some normalization of some different uh, statistics. And then in points leagues, it's Jeremy Grant. And I, I put DeMar DeRozan in this one, even though we had him in, I screwed it up. I didn't put him in the small forward one yesterday, but I chucked him in to the power forward one uh, that we're doing here. Now, let's look at tier six, Matt. Kyle Kuzma, Paolo Banquero, Miles, Bridges, big differences in ADPs behind a lot of these players. There'll be somebody, no doubt, screaming in the comments, Paolo was actually 250th last season, so how do you expect him in this area? There's definitely someone saying that. And the the way that he's able to do that is that maybe he just doesn't shoot 42%. Maybe that fact that he hit like 4% from three over a six-week period when his nerves were screwed up maybe has an impact. And if he goes from 42 to 45 or 29 to 33 and 72 to 74, well, it probably jumps to 60 spots right there. And getting in and year two, we see so many guys improve efficiency. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's RJ Barrett. He's not. But maybe he's RJ Barrett through the course of his career. And he's always just a bad percentage guy. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm definitely, I mean, I'm definitely not saying that for him based on his rookie season. Yeah, and the comp coming into um or from the from his the draft with Paolo Bencaro was that he was similar to, to Julius Randle, and we've seen that with his efficiency. So, you know, we've seen Julius Randle have a top 20 or 30 season and then fall backwards. So can Paolo 
you know, yeah, improve those um, his efficiency and, and and jump up. That's going to be really interesting to watch. And maybe, yeah, does he play a bit more centre this season yeah, well, as well and, he, and plays closer to the rim and that helps him out. So, mm. yeah, we'll wait and see. He's playing a lot of centre in the World Cup at the moment. He's blocking a lot of shots. And the position that is a little bit open on the Magic is backup centre. It's Mo Wagner, it's Gogo Badadze versus like playing at the forward or, or extra guards in there where you're trying to get Cole Anthony and Suggs and Harris and Black and all those guys in. Whereas, you know, if you can slide Paolo to centre a little bit more, Franz goes up to the forward and you get more of those guards into the lineup. So it is possible. So I'm pretty interested in taking him. There is risks associated with it for sure, um, but I'm not just going to tar him with that brush of he's a 42% and 70% guy from the field in the line every season. If he does it for three years in a row, then I'll say, yeah, yeah he is. But the other guy that he was compared to, who I compared him to a lot more, was Blake Griffin, who came in that way, but also improved those numbers very quickly throughout his career in the NBA. So which direction does uh, which direction does Paolo go with it? Uh, we don't know. We'll see. Miles Bridges is interesting. I don't know what the hell goes on in that rotation. Haywood, Miller, Washington, Bridges now. He's on the qualifying offer. He's almost set definitely to leave at the end of next season. Do they just say, well, you're not actually part of anything here long-term despite being our second best player two years ago? Do they just play him 27 off the bench after he comes back from a 10-game suspension? Or because he's their second best player, does he go out there and play 35 minutes again and put up big numbers? I, I don't know how they can look at it. And it was a different coach that coached him last time. Yeah, so plenty plenty to play out. And again, that's another one to watch in, in training camp and see you know, mm. what they're thinking. But again, like you said, he's going to miss those first 10 games of the season. So um, yeah, that puts us behind the eight ball a little bit. But I mean, if he can somehow get to top 75, top 80, then, you know, in this range, you're probably getting a little bit of value. Um, and Kyle Kuzma just going to take a heap of shots, be good for points, rebounds, threes, um, again, like he was last season. So, yeah. I think I look at these three guys here and Kuzma's going to be fine. Like, he, he'll score, he'll hit threes, he'll get some rebounds, he's not going to get defensive stats ever, and he's probably going to be inefficient. And we know that. But the other two guys legitimately have, like, we've seen Miles Bridges do top 25 sort of stuff. Or at, yeah, at worst case, top 40. And Paolo can get there really quickly. He's got the basis of that really set in with points, rebounds, assists, which is a great starting point. Just needs some other stuff to come around. So you're looking at, in this area, these are some very interesting high upside players. The one thing that would say to say to Paolo is that we know he's the future of that franchise, whereas we don't know that for Kuzma. In fact, he's not. And we don't know that for Bridges, and he's also not. So, you know, giving that extra leeway to those players does give Paolo a slight edge in that group, I think. And we always see in that sort of 60 to 90 range of drafts, there's always one guy who breaks out and becomes you know, that top 40, top 50 player last year was Mount Markin and the year before it was Mile Bridges. Who, you know, is it Bancaro who does it this year or is it, you know, potentially Daniel Gafford or someone else? Have you got someone that you're earmarking for that big breakout this season in that range? Um, I think Gafford's a pretty easy one. Like, there's no centres on that team. Like, he's going to, unless he's hurting his ankle every game or getting in foul trouble, he has to play 30 minutes. There's no one there. All right, so he has to be able to step up from the 23 that he played last season. So he's a pretty obvious one. And I am pretty interested to see what Paolo is able to do. I think he's going to significantly outperform what he did last season. It's probably maybe a little bit rich going at 58. Like that that probably strips away a lot of values. I'm not sure that I'd end up drafting him. But in terms of increased production from last season, he's definitely um, one of those guys that I'll be looking at. I'm just trying to think if there's anyone else. Yeah, maybe like a, a Devin Vassell, I'm pretty interested to see what he's able to able to do. Um, yeah. Shen Goon maybe? Yeah, I'm on the fence about where he sits. I don't really know how they're going to handle him. I just, 
I worry that Yudoka just caps him and they play Eason and Smith at the four and the five a little bit more than we would uh, like. But he could also end up as a top 30 player if he just gets 33 a night and yeah, dominates with a really good coach there. It is going to be interesting to see how they uh, they handle that one. Um, tier six for Durant, a lot of guys there. Siakam, Randall, Bunkero, Kuzma, DeRozan, Draymond Green. And then for points leagues, Bridges, Aaron Gordon, Jalen Williams, Jabari Smith, Cam Johnson, Jeremy Sohan, and Draymond Green. A lot of these power forwards are relatively close in value, and that's why, Matt, again, you haven't even gone very deep into tiers with this. In fact, there's only eight tiers through the power forwards here. And we're in tier seven now, which is the back-end players. Sadiq Bey, Patrick Williams, Jabari Smith. To me, there is one very, very clear option that I would take out of that group. Is there one for you that you would clearly take? Um, for me, it's Jabari Smith, and I'm thinking that would be the same for you. Yep. Um, Sadiq Bay, you know, may challenge for the the power forward position left vacant by John Collins, um, and a bit of a, a training camp battle there with um, Jalen Johnson. But Sadiq's pretty much threes and some points, and that's about it. And Patrick Williams is just a super boring player as well, and doesn't really have much upside. So Jabari Smith, disappointing rookie season, but. Um, we'll see yeah, what sort of leap he can take. But again, the Rockets are, are pretty deep. So um, yeah, how much ball goes his way? That is that is part of the problem. I also just bank that Jabari Smith is going to shoot better than 29% or whatever he did from three and 40% from the field. So you're big to a Palo taking big steps forward in his shooting. I think Jabari will. And his blocks increase a little bit towards the end of the season. But he's also getting pick 50 spots ahead of Patrick Williams. So you know, do I want to take him at 98 Maybe. Like, I'm still still chasing upside there, but there's not as much upside at 98 than there would be at taking Jabari at 120. Patrick Williams, I'm just not ever sure he's going to ever be able to ramp it up. And you look at the pathway on that team, nothing changes. Like, Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic are all still there. So, Williams is going to be in the exact same spot that he was last season. Does he become this standout offensive guy that demands the ball away from those guys? I'd, I'd fall over if that happened. I just don't see how that's going to happen. And Sadiq Bey is also the same guy who is... I guess a three-point shooter, but that's not true. He shoots them. They don't go in to the level that you would hope they, they do, and then he doesn't do anything else. And you're right that Jalen Johnson is probably breathing down his neck there to get uh, get a crack at that role. Let's look at the Tier 7 across Durant. It's Cam Johnson, Jalen Williams, and Miles Bridges. And then points league, has got Sadiq Bay, Johnny Collins, Jalen Johnson, Kyle Anderson, Patrick Williams, Obi Toppin, and PJ Washington. Matt, this will bring us into your final tier. And it's just Jeremy Sohan here for you, who's a late-round guy, do you think that he will start for the Spurs? Um, I would start him. I don't know what the Spurs do, but um, I would bring Keldon Johnson off the bench as a scoring six man. Um, but And I think, you know, yeah, Trey Jones probably starts at point guard, but um, we know of Sohan's passing ability, and I think that will be beneficial for, you know, Victor Wembanyama and Devin Vassell as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him start and and see how he goes and how yeah that that front court looks with with the two of them um, pretty exciting front court there for the Spurs so yeah a, a late round fly with a little bit of upside so um, yeah definitely worth a shot yeah the, the risk there is that he only plays 29 minutes and the counting stats don't really come along he was pretty good down the stretch I do like Sohan I do think he should start over Kelden but we just we don't know what they're going to do it still remains a little bit of a mystery to see where he um where he ends up and now we'll just run through the rest of the Durant and the points league tiers for tier 8 uh, for Durant it's Gordon Smith Jabari Smith uh, Jalen Johnson Patrick Williams and then in points leagues it's Isaiah Stewart um, in tier 9 which is well that's the end of the points league tiers tier 9 in Durant it's Sohan, Kyle Anderson, Sadiq Bay, and PJ Washington. 
For tier 10 for Durant, it is Johnny Collins and Obi Toppin. And for tier 11, uh, I don't know why it's the small four tiers at the top. Oh, that's, oh, that's it. No, that, that was it. We're done. It was only 10. There you go. Got him, got him right. Obi Toppin and John Collins there in tier 10. Now, you didn't have John Collins or Obi Toppin in these um, tiers, Matt. We're just not expecting much out of him. Uh, they just really didn't miss make, make the cut. Like I said, I went to about 120 deep and Jeremy Sohan was probably, yeah, the last. John Collins was close um, and so was Jaden McDaniels, for those wondering. Um, and then you've got guys like Jalen Johnson as well, who is probably more of a late round flyer. Paul Reed as well. Again, we'll oh, watch yeah. to see what happens with with him in training camp. So yeah, definitely some names that were left off. You know, Aaron Gordon was another one who PJ Washington. Yep. Um, so yeah, some some decent names there who didn't quite get mentioned, but yeah, definitely will be drafted in standard leagues. But like I said, sort of only just covered the hundred top hundred twenty because the difference in this range is um, yeah extremely small. Agree, agree. Matt, thank you again for coming on to talk power forwards. We're going to do centers next week and we'll have that all wrapped up then. So thank you again for coming on and chatting about uh, the power forward position in the NBA. Anytime. Thank you, Josh. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.